you know, and we're in that kind of a season. We had Thanksgiving and uh, being here in East Texas, we realized duck season has started and it's deer season and it's good to see some of the men and women back in church from their deer camps. And, but you look on Facebook and you see how many people in our church are all excited about Duck Dynasty and Honey Boo Boo. I started wondering, you know, are we a redneck church? And I just thought I'd do this litmus test here and we'd go through these 10 things to see if we qualify or not. But these are some reasons we might, might be if we're doing these kind of things. The choir robes are donated by and embroidered with a logo from Billy Bob's Barbecue. That would be a sign. Our baptism is the number two galvanized wash tub. People think rapture is what you get when you lift something too heavy. Finding and returning lost sheep isn't just a parable. And there's a special fundraiser for the new church septic tank. We might just be. In a congregation of 500 members, there are only seven last names in the church directory. Oops. All right. And remember the church requests to be buried in his four-wheel drive truck because it ain't never been in a hole it can't get out of. <laughs> and the opening day of deer season is recognized as an official church holiday. Should we vote on that one right now? Oh, no. Okay. And pastor says, I'd like to ask Bubba to help take up the offering. Then five guys and two women stand up. That might be a sign. And people ask when they learn that Jesus fed the 5,000, where the two fish, uh, what they were, Catfish or bass, and what kind of bait he used to catch them. So that might be a sign. Do we qualify or not? Nah, I don't know. Well, let me have a Bible. If you got them, hold them up. Make the devil nervous. Make the bookstores glad and the devil mad, and we'll chop off some devil's heads. Na, 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 na. Do you kind of get it? If you do, repeat after me. This Bible has the power, Bible has the power. to change my life, to change my, to change my city. To change my I can do what this Bible says I can do. I'll be a history maker and a world shaker. This Bible's a sin detector, a faith inflator. I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read it later. If you believe that, give Jesus a shout so I know I'm in the right place. Okay. Okay, I'm going to talk to you a message entitled, Getting Your Edge Back. Getting Your Edge Back. And I kind of like the Bull, uh, Bullwinkle and Rocky cartoons back in the day. They always had two titles. So the other title is Prepare for War. So whichever one you like, getting your edge back, prepare for war. And I got a, uh, a few words that start with the letter P, and the first one is proclaim. I want to proclaim something. There's going to be three scriptures here to make this proclamation. First one is Joel 3.9. Proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Joel 2.1. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Matthew eleven twelve. the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. I really believe in this church, God is raising a multiracial army of violent people. That means they're spirit-led. They love God with all their hearts. They love other people more than themselves or as much as themselves. And they're going to start moving in supernatural power. Especially you young people. You need to be ready for, a, uh, I believe, a move of God of signs and wonders. And be ready. Moving in supernatural power. The other word is prepare. As you kind of hopefully see John 3, 9 on the screen, it's got a couple things there. First it said, wake up the mighty men. Wake up the mighty warriors. I'm not talking about gender here, just men. First of all, we're talking about mankind. In the New Testament, it says there's neither Greek nor Jew. There's neither male nor female. So what I'm talking about are men, women, and children that are warriors for God. I don't care what age you are. You could be 13. 
And you can be a mighty warrior for God. It just imagine this. If you were 13 years old and had to go up against the best ninja fighter in the world, and he was unbelievable at a sword, and he's never been defeated, and you had to go up against him, and you'd start to think, who would win? Well, I need to tell you a little bit about the 13-year-old. He spent the last two years training in an army tank. And so this army tank rolls up against a ninja. Who's going to win? I mean, that sword's not going to have much effect. The little kid in the army tank ought to win that hands down. Why? Because of the weapon he had. And the weapons we have are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And so we have spiritual weapons that will wipe out anything. So we need to wake up, we need to draw near, and we need to come up, according to Scripture in Joel 3.9. When we say come up, that means there's another level we need to go up to, individually as a church. Let's talk about wake up. To wake is to see sleeping, to be aroused, to awake, to stir, to be alive. Romans 13, 11. Do this because we live in an important time. Another version says a strategic time. How many believe we're in a very strategic time right now? Very strategic. It is now time for you to wake up from your sleep because your salvation is nearer than when we first believed. In other words, time is running out. It's time to wake up. So we need to wake up. Then we need to draw near. James 4.8 says, Come near to God, and then God will come near to you. It says, You sinners, clean sin out of your lives. You are trying to follow God and the world at the same time? Been there? You are trying to follow God and the world at the same time? Make your thinking pure. So wake up, draw near, and then come up. Come up from what? Come up from the complacency. Come up from the... Uh, the fear, come up from the bondage of whatever it may be, religion or whatever it may be. You need to come up from those things and come up into a new level of anointing, a new level of worship, a new level of warfare. That's what we need to come up to. And remember, you need to count the cost. Because you initially think that, well, I've got to come up, do that. You, you start, oh, that's just going to cost me. It always costs you more to stay where you're at, spiritually. It always does. It always costs you more not to obey God. Now, how many have been in places where it cost you more and you realized it? There's always a price you pay. But it's worth coming up. It's always worth serving God. It really is. Let's talk about position. What's your position? We just came through a a political election and everybody had their position. They had their opinions. But I'm going to talk about spiritual warfare. What's your opinion about that? First, you need to realize that this that the heavenly realm, the invisible realm, is more real than what we see here. This is going to pass away. Every one of us has a spirit part of our body that you can't really see, but it's going to live forever. It can't be killed. It's going to go to heaven or hell. Along with your will, that means your emotions and your thoughts. And so you need to realize there's an invisible world that exists, and you must make a decision. You're going to do all that's necessary to be ready for spiritual battle. And you need to understand that you live in the presence of evil powers that seek to destroy your life. That means there's no truce, there's no hiding, there's no retreating. There's not. He's there. So what's your position? What's your stand on all this? Maybe it should be in agreement with what it says in the Word of God. Ephesians 6.10. And most of you know this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet at the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith that you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Okay, we need to reinforce the awareness of our spiritual armor daily. Okay? Yes, because you're a Christian, there's an armor that, that you kind of have from, from being a Christian, but you daily need to be aware that, by, I think, by putting it on daily, by saying it out loud daily, that you realize you're going into battle, but you have this armor. And why do I say daily? daily David realized the importance of daily. A worshiper and a warrior. He said in Psalm 56 two, Mine enemies would daily swallow me up. For they are many who fight against me, O thou, thou most high. Psalm sixty-eight, nineteen: Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. Matthew six, eleven: Give us this day our daily bread. Luke nine, twenty-three. Then he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Does the devil take a day off? And his henchmen? How many realized he still might attack you on a holiday like Thanksgiving? Did anybody feel any, I mean, some, or Christmas, sometimes the holidays, he can kind of set back and then swoop in during those holidays to try to hit you kind of hard. I mean, there's been several things, even as on staff here, and one time was as youth pastor, early, early Thanksgiving morning, I tell you never what you're going to wake up to when the phone rings. And one of our church members, their son, had went out and partied the night before and drank and was killed in a car wreck. And just like that, their life changed. I'm telling you, the enemy doesn't take a day off. You're in a battle. The devil hates you and wants to destroy you and your family. And it's time for the church to prepare for war like never before. It's time to pick up your swords, get them sharpened. And you might think, I don't even know if I have a sword right now. Well, there is, if you've been reading along, and I encourage you to daily, get one of these Bible guides and read along with us. If you've been reading along, we've been reading in the story of David right now. He's already killed Goliath, but he's at that place where he's running for his life. So we're talking David anointed as king, killed Goliath, personal musician for the king, and now he's running for his life. Matter of fact, he had to take off so fast that he didn't even take his sword with him. So he goes to one of the other cities and another priest and gets a little bread and also says, do you have any weapons here? And there happens to be one weapon, and it's the sword of Goliath, the very giant that he killed. So he gets that weapon. I'm telling you, sometimes in life you might feel like you don't have a weapon now. Go back to the last victory you had. And just remind yourself how God took care of you. That's why you need to keep a journal, a little thing of your your prayer request and and what God's doing in your life. You can look back and say, hey, God brought me through that. You know, I took a stand and God brought me through it. And we can see victory in this situation too. So I ask you the question, are you spiritually sharp? If not, were you? If you're not, how did you lose it? Because God wants us sharpening our spiritual edge. He doesn't expect us to be perfect, but He's concerned which direction we're going. 
We ought to be moving toward that cross. I'm not concerned just how close you are, but we need to be moving toward it. So how do you know if you've lost your spiritual edge? Maybe your sword's dull. Well, maybe you're not as compassionate as you used to be. Maybe the Word of God isn't as exciting to read. Maybe God feels far away. And how did you lose your spiritual edge? Sometimes you can trace it back to an unconfessed sin. Maybe it began with a significant hurt or disappointment. And that could be somebody in church that hurts you. It could be somebody, a family member, a disappointment. It could be you're just disappointed in God right now because something didn't come through. Some prayer didn't get answered or something happened. And you keep asking the why question. Why? When you need to shift and just say, what now, God? And get back in His Word and take a stand. And if you feel like you've been stolen from, call the devil a thief. Claim it back seven times and begin to stand on the promises of God. Or maybe you were just helping sharpen another swords and realized one day you'd lent yours out and you just don't have it. Somebody borrowed it or some, something like that. You need to take time for yourself. Maybe you're missing the whole sword or maybe you just don't have the edge anymore. Look at what happened in Ezekiel 16.49. This is, I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah, probably good people, but there were steps that led to their destruction. And I think some of them are in this verse. Ezekiel 16.49. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, just got fat and lazy, abundance of idleness, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Just let that one soak in a little bit. First of all, idle time is the devil's playground. I mean, the idleness of time will be sucked up with television, hobbies, bad friendships, and they can all make you spiritually dull. It's not that a lot of those things are bad, but when that's all you do, I mean, it'll make you dull. And it's time for Christians to come out of their idleness, to get out of the bleachers, and do something for God. Because spectators become criticizers. If you've ever been to a pro, especially a pro football game, especially a Dallas pro football game, you can see how fast people can turn. I mean, they'll be cheering you one minute and booing you the next minute. I played with the Bears at a time they weren't doing so good. Uh, matter of fact, the coach tell you put on your helmet. That was to leave the locker room when you ran out in the field because they would throw stuff at you and boo. They were passionate about their teams. But I would love for one minute when that guy in the cowboy stands is yelling at the lineman because he let some guy go through and sack Tony Romo that you just get him and say, okay, come down here. You block that guy this time. And just let him try to block him a few times and see if his attitude changes a little bit. But it's, I need to remind everybody in here, first of all, you're valuable to God. You're valuable to the kingdom of God. You're valuable to this church. I don't believe you're here by accident. I believe you're here, God brought you here. Now, some of you could be here just for the vacation, see some family members, and you're just here for today, but today was a divine appointment. And you're going to go back with something just different in your spirit to whether to give to somebody else or, or, or to just to see a difference in your life. This coming year, I believe with all my heart, should be the best year our church has ever seen. That means it ought to be your best year. Because what? You're the church. And some of you are in, in a tough battle. But we're going to believe to begin to walk in victory in this coming year. And restoration take place in places the enemy's stolen from you. But there's no reason it should not be the best year for the church. I mean, in America, it could be some of the toughest times and some of the, the biggest battles. But I'm telling you, 
you're going to see, without a test, you'll never hear, have a testimony, will you? And we're going to see some victories. And you need to realize, God's putting together a team, everybody has a part to play, and every member has a ministry. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you have a ministry. Now that can kind of seem overwhelming, but you all have a part to play. Before you, before you even got to this church, there's people were doing things to make this service ready for you. I mean, whether it's keeping the grounds right, you know, uh, getting the coffee hot, so when you come in, you can wake up and, and, and get ready to, to go, greeting people, media, we're, all kinds of things are happening. There's a place for you to serve. As a matter of fact, we feel it's so important that we have a class called the Connect class to help you get connected to what God has for you to do. And on the very front uh, page of our website, you can go down the right column and click on spiritual gifts test and find out what your spiritual gifts are. And then you can set up a time with our coaches where they'll help you go through that, your passions and your personality, and help you find a place to serve to make a difference for the kingdom. So there's no excuses. Amen? But we got to, in all this, we got to keep the main thing the main thing. It's all about souls. It's all about heaven and hell. God wishes that none should perish and all to come to repentance. And maybe we got distracted. Maybe we need to strengthen the hands of the poor and needy. Now we're coming in time. There's going to be a lot of opportunity to do that physically. I mean, hands-on stuff. But what about spiritually? If, if somebody doesn't know Jesus, they are spiritually poor and needy. They can have the nicest houses in town and and nice cars, but they're coming to an end and ready to drop off a cliff called eternity and going to one place, heaven or hell. And we have the answers. We really do. And with all this I'm saying, you might feel like David in in the land of giants and just like, oh man, how could I? I'm barely keeping my head above water. I got this going, that going, whatever it may be. But I want you to think about David for a minute. After a great victory, he killed Goliath, Now he was running for his life, temporarily hiding in a cave of Adullam. So he's hiding in this cave. And guess who shows up? 400 other men who the Bible says are in desperation. These were 3D losers. The Bible said they were distressed, discontented, and in debt. Those are three serious Ds. And that's all David had. But you know, he realized who God brought him. He became their captain, molded them into champions, and four of them became giant killers. You look in 2 Samuel 23, and you'll see some of the great exploits they did. Listen to some of these mighty men. And I'm talking to some mighty men and women and children in here. Adonai killed 800 men at one time. Shammah stationed himself in the middle of a lentil field after the people fled and defended this bean field and killed the Philistines. Abishai lifted his spear against 300 men and killed them. Benani killed two what it calls lion-like heroes of Moab and also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. One thing, killing a lion, then killing him in a pit, then killing him when you got no traction and the lion's got four-wheel drive. I mean, everything's against you. And this same guy goes on to kill an Egyptian they called a spectacular man who had a spear in his hand. And this guy went with him, at him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the guy's hand and killed him with his own spear. And it all began with David taking and believing in the army God gave him. And I believe there's an army of champions in this room. I believe that with all my heart. Because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. 
But before David attacked Goliath, you know, we, we talked about you need to come up to another level. Whenever you get ready to go to another level, sometimes those people that want to stay at this comfortable level will begin to make fun of you or begin to criticize you. I remember I was trying to go to another level in my pro football career. And I was out in this open field because I had to be ready because there was going to be all kinds of people ready. You know, to, when I showed up, man, I had to have the fastest, four, you know, I had to stand out. And so I was doing what the Russians would do to train to get faster. It's called plyometrics. It's like bounding on one leg and you jump up. It looks like skipping. And I'm out in this field. I'm doing my plyometrics and bounding and, and doing these things that look like skipping. And there's two like 13, 14-year-old guys up in a treehouse. And I could hear them laughing at me. Oh, look at the girl. He's skipping. <laughs> Trying to make fun. But see, I was going to another level. They had no clue what I was doing was training for that next level. And David, when he went out to take on Goliath, he said, what is this? I mean, our whole nation, we got this giant who's not as big as our God, and he's stopping us in our track, and his brothers begin to make fun of him, and he turned around and he said this, is there not a cause? And I want to ask you, with what's going on in your family, is there not a cause? With what's going on in this church, the cancer and stuff that, that, that tries to come, and, and the people that are fighting these, these battles with health, is there not a cause? With what's going on in our nation right now. Is there not a cause? I'm telling you, it's time for the church to rise up. It's time to prepare for war. Let's talk about getting your edge back. Because that's what needs to happen. First, if you want to get your edge back, you've got to be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself, honest with God. Just be honest. That's where the pride's got to go. And some of you might need to come to an altar. I don't know if you've ever experienced walking up to an altar before. And just saying, God, I'm just here. I just want to agree with somebody in prayer. I mean, te- hell's going to be full of pride pe- proud people. Be honest with yourself. And you know, sometimes the thing that sends you over the edge is something you didn't expect. A crisis is a crisis because it happens at a time when you didn't expect it. And it was a boxer that was asked, which punch was it that took you out? And he said, the one I didn't expect. And that's what the enemy does. You're going through life, all of a sudden something, poof, just blindsides you. Knocks the air out of you. And regaining your spiritual edge doesn't happen overnight. Now, a, a prayer can just change your attitude and, and it can set you on course. But I'm talking about the daily things. Successful people leave clues. And if you just follow them around for a day, they might have these big goals and dreams. But what gets them there is what they do on a daily basis. Those little things they do every day. And... How many have used or seen a camera tripod? How many legs does it have? Very good. Some people are going to the next level. Grade four now. But why? Because it can set on any terrain and be level. I mean, it, it, it can be on whatever and have a good stand. You do these three things and you're going to get your edge back. Spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, and have other Christian relationships. Now, let's, let's change that. Not just hang around with Christians, but hang around with believers. People that really believe this word. Read the word. Pray. Hang around other Christians. And no one can sharpen your sword for you. Something you have to do. You have to set time aside to do it just for you. And remember again, this is all for the reason of focusing outward. To see the harvest. To begin to do our part. Another word, posture. The definition of that is the position or bearing of the body, state, condition, or attitude. Say attitude. It's your attitude that will determine your altitude. It will make or break you, what your attitude is. 
And we have been given some powerful weapons. We've been given the blood of Jesus. We've been given the, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. We've been given angels to minister to our needs. We've been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It says in Matthew 16, 19, that whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Now, how many have, have used that key and you bound the enemy in some way? Well, most of us know that the part where you bind, like you, you, you bind them in chains and you render them powerless, but you can bind the enemy all you want. You can bind uh, those things going on in your life, lust or fear or whatever it is, but if you've given him a door of access, he has legal right to come in. The first thing you need to do is repent and get that door shut. But now I want to talk to you about the other side of binding and loosing. And it's in Isaiah 61. He's come to bind up the brokenhearted. It's the positive side of binding, where you bind yourself to the will of God. And here's the thing, for family members and people that know, don't know God, they're blind. So you have authority, if they're a family member, to bind them to the will of God. I mean, to decree their salvation and declare it. And so sometimes you just got, I just bind myself to the mind of Christ and I loose myself from every demonic lie and deception in Jesus' name. A little side note there for you. So here's the position or the posture you need to have. You need to be armed and dangerous. Look at your neighbor and say, you're armed and dangerous. And here's what I mean. It's, it's Numbers 31, that whole chapter. I'm going to just kind of boil it down into a couple sentences in Numbers 31. Moses told, told the people to arm themselves for war. So they did. And Phinehas led them into battle. They fought. They won. They took all the spoil and all the booty. Say all the booty. That's fun saying that in church, isn't it? Numbers 32. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben didn't want to cross over and fight. Moses said, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit there? God might be asking this of you. Now why then discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going to war? So the Lord's anger was aroused. So none of the men from 20 years and above will see the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua, for they have wholly followed the Lord. There needs to be a crossing over, you know, into more of a mentality of being a warrior, of being ready for battle, of, of beginning to, to fight for your rights that God's given you. There's over 7,000 promises in this book and I bet there's one for your situation. Whatever it may be. We need to move with the cloud. When God says move, we need to move. So why don't we cross over? Why? I believe maybe four words. Comfortable, complacent, cowardice, or complain. You're just comfortable. And that's the challenge of me, of all of us. When things are going pretty good, I'm just kind of comfortable right now. I like the way things are. And we just kind of want to maintain and, you know, don't rock the boat. But that's not a good place to be because somebody's going to rock the boat. I'd rather rock the enemy's boat than him rock my boat. Complacent, a no-care attitude. You know, coward, just fear. You're not trusting God in some situation. But here's the big one, complain. You're dissatisfied and you complain. Complaining and critical spirits can kill. And they'll kill you spiritually. Numbers 11. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it, His anger burned among them, and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. It's time to stop hanging around the outskirts and playing church. Because where does the enemy get? It's time to come into the flock. It's time to be a part of the body of Christ. Because the enemy gets those that are on the outskirts, the sheep that are kind of are just around hanging out by themselves. It's time more than ever 
to become part of the family of God and be involved. It's time for leaders to lead and people to begin to follow. One other word, push. Say push. We have to push the enemy off of our God-given rights. We need to kick him off our territory. When the children of Israel went into the promised land, they crossed over into a land that was promised them. But what did they have to do? They had to fight. They had to drive the giants out. They had to take down the fortified cities. But guess what? God said, it's your land. The battle's mine. And they went in and just obedient and saw victory after victory after victory. Amen? And the first fight we have is the fight for salvation. And a lot of times it's not even so much your fight as your family and friends that have been fighting for you. And I'll promise you this. People have been fighting for you today. There's some people in here today that are going to get their life right with God. I saw it in the last two services. It'll happen in this service. Because God loves you and has a plan for your life. Because people have been praying for you. And the reason you're not saved, there's been blinders on your eyes and you haven't really seen God for who He is and how much He loves you. And today those blinders are coming off. And you're going to realize how much God loves you. And you're going to realize, uh, hey, how you been doing so far with what you've been doing? Hasn't worked so good, huh? I spent that way 30 years before I realized that. So you've got to push. The word push is the acronym. You've all seen it probably on a t-shirt. Pray until something happens. You just got to, how long do you pray? You pray until something happens. And remember this, prayer is the battle. I'll say it again. Prayer is the battle. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. The meek may inherit the earth, but the violent are what's going to pull down heaven and inherit the things in heaven. And there's a fight going on in the heavenlies. And how goes the battle in the heavenlies? Goes the battle on this earth. And it's being played out in America. That's why it's time for the church to rise up and begin to fight like... Christianity is being pushed out of America. The very government that was founded on religious freedoms and religious rights and founded by godly men are being pushed out of the history books. It's time to fight. Prayer is the battle. We do to gain ground in the heavenlies. If we don't see victory on earth, that's because we haven't seen victory in heaven. We begin to see victory in the heavenlies, it'll manifest on earth. Our salvation cost Christ His blood and His life. It's going to cost us some sweat and tears. It really is. But I'm talking about violent prayer. It's time to go from the now I lay me down to sleep prayers. God is good. God is great. Bless all this food I'm getting ready to eat. Whatever it is. But it's time for some violent... Matter of fact, when you look in the Bible and you look in the, in the definitions of the Greek and the Hebrew and you look at the words for have to do with prayer, it talks about wrestling. It talks about pouring out the soul. And when Elijah prayed for rain, it said the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. When you, when you break that down, it actually paints a picture of a woman in the Old Testament where they, I don't know if they had a birthing rock or something, where they just leaned on, squatted down, gave birth, and five minutes later were out plowing the field again. Isn't that the way it works, ladies, or not? No? But the thing was... Am I wrong by saying when you have a ba- I know every, you got everything into it. Because my wife had everything in her hand ripping my sleeve off of my shirt during that time. But I mean, picture that like prayer. 
Man, really pouring. I mean, if you're half asleep, are you going to wake up heaven? I'm not that God sleeps, but I mean, you're going to get their attention. We need some violent prayer that's going to bring a violent wind to this city. We really do. End of this church. And I believe we're right on the edge of it. Let me finish with this word. When I said mighty warriors, God wants to raise up some mighty warriors. That word mighty, here's what it stands for. The M stands for meek. It's not, it doesn't mean weak. It means power under control. You know, I've played... I remember a football player that was a linebacker that was ju- he would just throw himself. He was just a maniac. And he would just go here and there and tackling. But the thing was, he was just out of control at times. And you have one guy that loses his temper or gets out of control, it can cost the whole team the game. But I'm talking about power under the control of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, under submission to leadership, that kind of control and having that power. Because I'm telling you, people that understand authority and submission and all those things, those are the ones God's going to release that power to move in supernatural power. I is integrity. Who are you in the inside? That's what integrity is. It's who you are on the inside. Are you a person of your word? Always just a little white lie. It's a lie or it's the truth. And, and just in everything right now, there's a, lot, there's a lot of gray area, even in America and in the church. And the more the darkness comes, the more the light comes. I'm telling you, the gray area, it's, it's white or black. It's light or darkness. And it's become more evident all the time. Would you steal a penny? I was challenged with that almost 30 years ago by a lady. And it's always stuck with me. I mean, it's just a penny. Well, you're a thief. I mean, where's the the line? And speaking of lines, do you have any guidelines? The G stands for guidelines. Do you have any standards? It's called the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Pastor preached about it last week, about having standards and guidelines. The H is hard worker. It's not what you have, it's what you do with what you have. I don't care if you're just given one talent, do do something with it. T is team player. That means it's not about me. That's the theme of Christianity. It's not about me. It's keeping each other encouraged. And I'm telling you, it's just amazing when you can be discouraged or whatever, when you begin to pour into somebody else a little bit, once you release that compassion or that energy, then God has room to begin to flow through you. Look for opportunities to pray for people. Look for, they're going to be all over this holiday season. Just the fact that you're able to get to this church. I don't care if you had to walk or ride a bike or hitch a ride. You're ahead of a whole lot of other people right now and have a whole lot to be thankful for. And the last letter as we close. The Y stands for yours to count on. I just want you to think about that a minute. I'm going to tell you a story to help paint a picture of just what that means. General Stonewall Jackson, great military leader who was an intensely devoted Christian. He felt there was nothing that couldn't be done when a Christian resolved to do it in Christ. He passed his leadership on to his understudy, General Jeb Stewart. When General Jackson was accidentally killed by friendly fire, General Stewart took over his responsibilities, quickly developed a reputation that he'd always get the breakthrough. Matter of fact, the head of the Confederate Army, Robert E. Lee, would give Stewart the hardest, most difficult assignments, and Stewart would always come through. The interesting part is that Jeb Stewart always signs his letters to General Lee, yours to count on. I'm telling you, 
I believe God's raising up a group of people. When we're done with our prayer and say, Amen, we sign that prayer. Yours to count on, God. Because it was that commitment that made Jeb Stewart win many a battle, and it's what can cause you to win many battles and get many victories. And a person with commitment, persistence, and endurance accomplished more than a thousand people with mere interest alone. Let's pray. But I want to thank you that you're raising up an army. Lord, I thank you. It's not based on gender. It's not based on how much money we have. It's not based on what color our skin is, how old we are. But Lord, it's based on the blood of Jesus and the victory and the price you paid and us just willing to say, yes, Lord, here am I, use me. So Father, I thank you for a church that's going to see amazing things. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I want to remind everybody in this room that God has a plan for you. God has a plan for each one in this room. I heard that when I was about 30 years old. I was in a chapel service. And before he told me that, he asked me a question that really just kind of, it was the first, I've been to church a lot, but this person asked me this question, if I died today, would I go to heaven or would I go to hell? And I thought, I really don't know. And I'm asking you that question so you can think, so you'll have the opportunity before you leave this building to know where you'll spend eternity. There's no reason you shouldn't know. It's spelled out in the Word of God that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you can be saved. God wishes that none should perish and none go to hell. But it's going to come. I kept thinking, well, maybe there'll be a big audible voice out of the sky and say, Mike, it's time to serve you. Or maybe an angel come up and tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, it's time now. But I realized it came down to a moment like this. When somebody asked me that question and I had to make a decision. And he shared four things I want to share with you. First thing he said, God loved me and had a plan for my life. And I, things were going pretty good at the time. I, I was doing pretty well, pretty comfortable. But I begin to think there's got to be more to life than just this. So God let me have a plan. But because of my sin, I'm separated from God. It's like God's on one side of the canyon, I'm on the other side, and I can't get over there because of my sin. Has anybody sinned here? Two, three, all of us. The Bible says we all sin. That sin's that, that canyon where we can't reach across to God. And the third thing he said was, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. It was through him I could experience God's love and plan. Now there's a bridge across that canyon of sin, and it's, it's Jesus. And I knew all that through Sunday school. But the fourth thing was nobody had challenged me with. He said, you have to individually invite him into your life. Make him Lord of your life. Be willing to lay down your life and follow him. And that's what I realized that day. Okay, I, this is what I need to do. I need to get things right with God. And I raised my hand and said, say a prayer for me. And I'm telling you, my life changed. No angels come out of the sky, give me high fives, but I began to find a peace in my life that I didn't have. And I began to, that plan begin to unfold. And I thank God for it. If I'd have continued on my path, I wouldn't be married to the same woman for over 30 years and have four kids that are serving the Lord. I know the direction I was going. I know the pit God pulled me out of. And I know some of you in this room, the miracles He's done in our lives. So I'm going to ask you this question before you go. Are you 100% sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? 
And if you're not, when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And by raising your hand, you're saying, Pastor Mike, would you pray for me? Because I want to invite Christ into my life. It's not that you're joining a church. What you're doing is inviting the God that created you to come and live on the inside of you. And give give you a sense of hope and purpose. God loves you. He's got a plan. Your sin... Jesus took everything you did and nailed it to that cross. And if you accept Him, you'll not be guilty anymore. So the choice is yours. On a count of three, if you want to get things right with God, you've never asked Him into your life, if you've gotten off track, I want you to lift your hand up and be proud of it. And all of heaven will stand up with you. One, two, three. Lift your hands up. See your hand, your hand. See your hand, your hand, your hand. See your hand. Hold them up till I see them. I see the hands back there. See your hand. All your hands. I see your hands. I see your hand. Your hand too. All the way back there, your hand. I'm telling you. Thank you, Jesus. I knew coming into this service, there were some divine appointments that some people in this church were faithful to invite some people. There were going to be some family members here. There, God was just been doing something in your life and just orchestrating this thing. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. And this will kind of seal it. I mean, by raising your hand, you're giving God permission to come in your life. But I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. I'm going to ask you, we're all going to stand in just a moment. We're going to have an altar team here that will pray with any needs anybody has. But I'm going to ask everybody that raised their hand to come walk to this cross. And I'm going to have one of our staff members over there. I'm going to be over there. And we got a little packet we want to give you. That little packet's going to help you get sharp. Help you know how to walk this walk. Amen? Because this is the beginning, not the end. And so... Thank you, Jesus. You know, there's somebody here that might be already raised your hand. But there was somebody here that was super depressed. I mean, discouraged, super depressed, felt like quitting, felt like there was no hope. And you can sense that hope today. There might still be a battle going on. But if that's you, would you hold your hand up? We'll just say a prayer for you. See your hand here. There's several people. See your hand. Several people. Several people. Several people. Let me just, just hold your hand up long enough for somebody, for a Christian to put a hand on your shoulder. If you're just really in that battle, just hold your hand up again for somebody just to see you and put a hand on your shoulder for you. I'm going to just say a corporate prayer over you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I want to thank you. The enemy, you're a liar. These people have a plan and a purpose. Lord, these people have not done something to disqualify themselves because they're here today. They made it here today. And I break the spirit of death over them in the name of Jesus. And I release life. I break discouragement, depression, and every demonic force that comes against them. And we stand as a body of Christ surrounding them and agreeing with the word of of God that heaven open up over them. We release hope. We bind them to the will of God. We loose them from every demonic lie and every demonic strategy. We loose them to the mind of Christ. And we bind them to your will and to your kingdom. And we again release life over them. And we declare who the Son is set free will be free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, if you still want to agree with somebody, our prayer team's going to be up here. But hey, let's go back to that first thing. If you raised your hand, would you step up right now and come walking up here? If you raise your hand and ask Christ, you're not. I want, to, I want heaven to see you and God to give you a hand clap. If you raise your hand, and I want the church to see their answered prayer right now. And come over to this cross. Come on, church. This is what it's all about. 
Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We prayed last night for 20 people to come up here. Last night they were praying for you. Just cry to, just. Matter of fact, Pastor Joe, let's do this. As they just continue to come. Let's make the main thing the main thing. Let's just come out here in this altar and just kind of bring them out here, Pastor Joe. And I want a Christian, one of our altar team or somebody, to get with, so we have one with every person. Come on out here, we're all going to say a prayer together. I'll bring you back over here. That you made it to the cross. So we have room for somebody to pray with you. Just kind of make your way out here a little bit. And we're all going to say this prayer together as they're coming. Everybody repeat this after me. It's not so much the words, it's the attitude of your heart. And this prayer is going to open up your heart and God's going to come and just fill it. Just repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I invite you. I give you permission to come into my life. Make me the kind of person that you want me to be. The kind of person I really want to be. I'm going to need your help. I'm going to need your power. So fill me with your power. The power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give Jesus a hand clap. Amen. I want our altar team to come around. What's your name? What is it? Ashley. Ashley. God just got His hand on you today. I just had His hand on you before. There's been people praying for you. But there's some great things in store for you. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Don't let the enemy lie to you about if you're valuable or important or not. No matter, I break every word curse over you in Jesus' name. Even at a young age, people have spoken negative and bad things over you. I break that off of you. And you're going to begin to walk in the fullness of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. Well, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Make sure we got an altar worker. Then we're going to sing through this one time. You can be released, but our altar team is going to stay up here. If we've got any altar workers, just kind of hang over here. If you want prayer for anything, they're going to pray for you. But I don't know about you, but I just want to give Jesus one more round of applause. There's lives changed today. Amen, amen.